How many of you have shopped for a new house, or a new house for you anyway? Anybody ever done that? You know what it's like. The, the realtor takes you to a variety of different places that look like they may have potential, and you're walking through the house door to door, and you're thinking, yeah, this has potential, this has promise, uh, but I'm not sure about it. And maybe the house that you bought, the one that you wound up at, um, Rich Capel, don't go too far, because we're going to call you back up here. This is actually all about you. So um, uh, believe it or not. Um, and, and when you opened up that door, you're like, oh, I can't believe this house has that space. And then the possibilities just start to flow. A few years ago, well, it's been several now, a uh, couple named Rich and Adrian uh, came here to see about a wedding. And um, so I remember doing their wedding and thinking at the time, He's looking for something, and I know what he's looking for, but he's got to go exploring. And if you look at life in a lot of ways, like going through the rooms of a house, maybe a lot of us have just been content with the kitchen, the bathroom, the bedroom, and the living room, and we just stayed there and lived at that level of life. And then all of a sudden, there's something inside of us that says, there's got to be more. And shortly after, I know God just really began working in your heart. And as a result of that, it was like God's saying, Rich, there's a door over here. You need to check this out. And Rich finally went over, opened the door, and God's like, it's about time. And after he did, invited you in, it changed your world, didn't it? Your whole view just completely transformed. And I've been privileged to see that uh, over the course of uh, the time that I've known him. And it's, it's really been cool to see how much God has changed his view on how life is lived out based on that new place that he's led you into. So much so that uh, time and seasons have passed and he's come here and, and experienced new, new birth through baptism uh, and we've seen him mature and develop to such a level that um, we, we really felt like he would be a good person uh, to develop into leadership with the elders. And so we asked him to join us this year as an elder, and the congregation affirmed that, that decision. And so one thing that we do as a church is uh, we ask God's blessing upon that whole process, and we haven't formally done that. So I'd like for Rich, if you could come forward. And, uh, and our elders that are in the room, if you would come up here. Um, I, I'd like for us to just lay hands on Rich and, and formalize this in a way that, that incorporates everything that God wants to do in, in the calling that is upon your life. And so I'd just like to ask um, uh, a couple of elders, if you would just, as we lay hands on Rich, if you would just pray for him and bless him and, uh, and, and, and just call him into that into that place that um, he is in this season. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and for this time. We know uh, when your word describes the position of elder, um, it's asked to be esteemed, it's asked to be noble, it's asked to be uh, trustworthy and accountable. The same thing, Lord, that you ask all of us as Christians. That, uh, we that are standing up here are no greater than those that are sitting in the seats and vice versa. But that um, as we walk through this life, Lord, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. 
we pray that our brothers and sisters around us will grant us the mercy and grace that you do as we attempt and we do our best to lead our flock as we move forward. We thank you, Lord, for Rich stepping up. We pray for his wife in the same process as uh, they do things together for the body. And then there's times where he's away and his wife is home by herself. Um, And she's just as much a part of this walk, Lord, as he is, as the two have become one. We thank you again, Lord, for Rich's commitment and ask these things in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we always come to you for, uh, it seems like anytime something is really bad, we're here. Here we are to lift up the one who wants to glorify you. Dear God, we ask that uh, you give him knowledge, wisdom, strength, that he may do your will. We ask that you be with not only him, but the group of elders, that we may serve your flock, that we may continue to do your work here on earth. Father, as we just call Rich into this role of responsibility over, over us as the body, we pray that you would anoint him with your spirit. You would grant him the wisdom that that calling requires and that you would give him the grace where he feels like he falls short. Help him to know that the things that he's called to do, you will give him the ability to accomplish. And we thank you for your faithfulness in that way and for we thank you for your faithful servant here who desires to glorify you and honor you with his life. So we lift him up to you, Father, trusting that you will use him for the purpose of of the well-being and the thriving of this body. And all God's people say together, Amen. So if you ever wondered what it was like to call an elder, that was the ending of the process. If you want to know how the beginning happens, uh, you'll have to ask us after church. But um, because you never know, maybe somebody in this room is thinking that could never be me. And maybe five years down the road, that might be you. You just don't know because it's a calling that God has on his life, on the life of uh, of an individual. And as uh, we think about that, we just have to remind ourselves that God is really in control of so much and, and we ourselves so little. Uh, but as uh, we increase our confidence in knowing that he is trustworthy and uh, as he calls us into things, uh, he'll see us through whatever it is that, that we have to do. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really one who enjoys necessarily going into things that are outside of my comfort zone. And uh, most of the time, if I'm asked to do something that's uncomfortable, at least it's been my experience in the past, or something that's out of my routine or habit, uh, I've been a little bit averse to it. Partly because um, I know that I've just got so many other things going on, but at the end of the day, it might just be fear. And that's what I want to talk about today is uh, essentially two realities that control your life in my life as we live life here on earth. Those are realities that could probably define every situation that you have found yourself in, find yourself in now, or will continue to find yourself in. And that is they are either fraught with things that cause you to fear and worry and to be anxious and feel insecure and apprehensive, 
or they are something that God's saying, come on this way. I know it doesn't look like, uh, from your point of view, it's something that you can do, but trust me, take your fear, put it aside, and live in faith. But what are, what are some of the fears that are in this room right now? As you just think about your week last week, and you think about the week that's in front of you, and the worry that's in your heart right now, it could be you have fear that um, your financial situation isn't what you would like for it to be. Uh, it could be fear that your relational situation isn't going in the direction that you hope that it would go. It could be a fear of commitment. If you have kids, it's always a fear of how will they turn out. And a lot of your motivation through the course of the week in their lives is based on the fear that if you don't invest in them, they may not turn out well. You could have fears of driving through Washingtonville 36 miles an hour. <laughs> and if you do, those are legitimate fears because it has a way of depleting. Your pocket has a way of being picked on the way through Washingtonville when you're going above 35 miles an hour. Just a little word of warning. It is a fearful situation. So as you can see, some fears are actually probably merited. But many of the fears that you bring into this room, chances are they'll never happen. They'll never come to realization like you think they might. Maybe the fears that you bring into this room are ones that are unlike anything that you've ever experienced before. And I would say they probably are because if you've done it before and you've made it through so many things in life, you don't even worry about going back there again because you've, you've been through it. Maybe when you were first starting to ride a bike and your dad took the training wheels off and said, all right, now it's you, balance, and gravity. Let's see how you do. I remember the first time I went through that. It didn't end well a couple of times, but after a while, got the knack. And if I go to the bike trail, I don't need training. I don't even think about it. When my two oldest kids were getting ready to take theirs off, I just said, look, I know you're afraid. I've done this before. Look at me. I'm still alive. can ride a bike and do it anytime at will that I prefer. And they're like, yeah, but this is a big deal. I just said, look, just don't hit that tree over there. And so I took the training wheels off of our oldest one. Immediately, she just pedaled right towards the tree. I thought, I said, don't hit the tree. So I tried it again with the next kid. I said, taking them off, ride your bike, just don't hit the tree, because it's the same sidewalk they were going down. That kid hit the tree. And I'm like, I gotta rethink this a little bit. Maybe they're so fixated on the tree that they can't, they, they, they can't process anything except the tree. So on the third one, I said, just whatever you do, don't stay on the sidewalk. And sure enough, stayed on the sidewalk until he discovered the road. And that was a whole other conversation about fear and fearlessness. And at every step in life, they had fears that they had to process. And at every fear, I thought back to the catalog of experiences that I had to work through myself 
And it, it was, it, it could have been a fear of how do I make friends to a fear of the friends that I've made now, we're not getting along and I'm not sure where it's going. To the fear of how do I ask this person out? To the fear of how do I, how do I, how do I stay up late without my parents knowing it and not get recrimination? And I didn't have any advice for them whatsoever for that. But no matter what the experience was, I was the person in their life at the appropriate time that said, God will get you through this. You'll do fine. Right now, uh, my oldest daughter, I think I've shared, is graduating for uh, an engineering degree. She's in between college and job. You guys remember that at all? Maybe that wasn't anything that you struggled with, but I, I certainly did. I wondered after I graduate. Now, the party's over and I have to work. But I have no idea where I'm going to end up at. And in that in-between time, I wasn't having a lot of fun because all I could think about was my parents are locking their basement. I've got to get a job. So you can see the insecurity that happens. And when the right job opened up at the right time, God said, now it's time to move. And it worked out. I'd love to tell my daughter, I'll come down. I'll talk to the school, I'll talk to the people that they know, I'll talk to the people that they know, we'll do whatever it takes to get you this job. But the thing that I have to tell her is, honey, you got to wrestle with it. You got to struggle with it. And you may be thinking, that's a pretty cruel thing for a dad to do to his daughter. And maybe you're right. But if you just back up a little bit in time, I think if we just take our experiences with fear and we process them through our faith, we may end up in a place that will help us along the way when that fear locks us up and we're in danger of hitting the tree. Did you know in the Bible, the scripture tells us this phrase 365 times plus one for leap year and that phrase is, fear not. And I believe that's probably just the whole design of the Bible. God has seen how much our lives are framed and motivated by fears of the unknown or the what-ifs. And faith and trust that God has our backs. And with that realization, he just says, I've got to fear not for every day, including this day. But maybe you're like me, you're kind of slow to pick up on that, and you're like, I believe that for the Bible, but you don't know what I'm up against. You don't know the type of complex situation that I'm facing. And I believe that if you take some time uh, with me this morning and just ponder a passage from Mark chapter 4, maybe you'll come out of here with a different point of view. In the story, the the, the, the ministry of Jesus is getting off the ground. He's called 12 disciples to follow him. And he's demonstrating what it means to be God in the flesh to the people around who need to know him and have his love and his compassion in their lives the most. So he's going all over the place. And one of the places that he finds himself in is at, at the, uh, the edge of a sea that is uh, surrounded by mountains. It's called the Sea of Galilee. And he told the disciples one day, let's go over to the other side. 
And as they did, Mark records what happened. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So sort of a, sort of, you see this uh, armada of fishing boats. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now these guys were fishermen. The mountain lake is used to all kinds of tumultuous and unpredictable behavior. They understood, but for some reason in the story, it was a storm, but it was not the storm like any other storm that they experienced. Matter of fact, if you think about it, all storms are different. And Jesus is aware that these things are getting ready to happen, and he's in the front of the boat, and the scripture says, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, probably yawned, probably stretched, looked at the wind, and he said, Quiet! Be still! And if you have ever been in a storm, and you have fear creeping in, like, is a tornado going to hit? Is it going to hail? Is the wind going to blow me off the road if I'm driving? And then all of a sudden, perfect tranquility. You can imagine the contrast that just happened. And the wind dies down quickly, and everything is just completely peaceful. And then the scripture goes on to tell us, Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And naturally they're terrified and they ask each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And Jesus looked at him square in the eye and he said, Why are you so so afraid? And as Mark tells this story, he's showing us, I think, a roadmap for how we deal with these two things that happen in life. And for the next few minutes, uh, just follow along with me a little bit so that we can explore what it means to have our faith shaken to a point where fear overtakes. And maybe, maybe you are going some, through something right now and it's a critical moment in your life's journey. And fear is just swimming all over the place. And if it is, just follow along with me for the next few minutes. We've been using uh, this phrase, um, minions, messes, and miracles. And it's derived from uh, the minions from Despicable Me. And the reason why we do it is if you think about Gru, who's a supervillain, turn actually pretty decent guy who has all of these little followers that will just do his bidding uh, at will. It, in a lot of ways, is a pattern that resembles our faith and our following of Jesus. And in some ways, we see Jesus as vilified, though unjustly. And we see Jesus as being rejected, like many people who have minions in, in, in terms of the minion dynamic have. But the one thing that we can identify with as we follow Jesus is that he has nothing but the best interest for those who follow him in mind. And that that includes you and I. And I hope you can take some comfort in knowing that following him is a way of allowing his presence to overshadow those things that would lock us up in so much fear. 
So these guys, they're minions, they're following, they're trusting. And by the way, the word minion comes originally from uh, an old French word, which um, mignon means little darlings. So I'm just using that phrase, Jesus' minions, that is his little darlings, didn't realize for some reason storms were unusual. Why, I'm not really sure, because they'd seen storms before. They lived through all kinds of storms vocationally. It was just part of their job. But a storm for one person is really a non-event for the other. If your storm is taking the training wheels off, then it's life and death. But if you've gone down the road considerably, it's not even on your radar screen. And the storms in life increase in intensity as we go on because we get better and better at managing simple storms that when life unfolds, our lives become more complex. There are more people involved. There are more things involved. There's more money at stake. There are so many things that we find ourselves burdened with that if you didn't have fear to start out with, you will find fear knocking at your door at some point. And when you do, Jesus said, the only answer to this dilemma is trust. That you can trust God even with this. And the one thing that I see in scripture about the storms as the storyline unfolds is something that I believe is true for you and I regarding our relationship to storms. And it's this. We are either heading into a storm. We are either in a storm. Or we are coming out of a storm. And some of you may be saying, I just came out of a storm. Please, no more storms for a while. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but life is just filled with periodic storms that we have to go through. And... You wonder sometimes, God, if you are so good, why am I going through this pain? And Jesus allowed his disciples to go through this tumultuous time. But the symbolism of his response is shocking because he's just laying there sleeping in the storm. I don't know about you, if if you ever had a tornado come your way, did you just say... Somebody said, oh, the wind's blowing and it sounds like the roof's getting ready to come off, but it's in the middle of the night. you going to stay in bed or are you going to go in the basement? And maybe you don't have a healthy sense of fear and you're like, nah, I'm good. You guys go on down. See you in the morning. And that healthy sense of fear uh, didn't work in your favor as uh, the roof comes off and you're being sucked out of the bed. And you're thinking, well, maybe I should have had some fear in that way. And there's something about fears and potential storms that that we've got to get a hold of here. Because God is taking the storm that I'm, I'm guessing if you are facing one now, it's not one that he caused, but it's one that he's allowing you to go through for reasons maybe we don't fully and we'll never fully in this lifetime understand but because he's God and he's allowing us to go through this, assuming that he's all-powerful, and if he is, then he, he must be allowing it, then what are you doing? And Jesus is looking at these 12 people in this boat, 
And he's looking down the road three years and he's saying, I got to take these chicken littles, if you're left, no, sorry, chicken somebodies, and um, uh, now I'm fearful of recrimination from Joe, who's a lot taller than I am. So you can't beat up your pastor, Joe. Okay. All right. Just saying. Okay. And, 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 and he's saying, I got to take these guys who are filled with fear at every turn, and I've got to unleash them on the world to make sure that everybody hears that I am Lord. How am I going to do that? They're not ready. They need some conditioning. And maybe that's the point. Every fearful circumstance, every storm that we're thrown in is an opportunity for God to equip us. And maybe to equip us for something that is a responsibility that we will have down the road that we are not ready for until we go through the storm process. And so our faith is something that can only be unshakable whenever it's based on us going through the necessary experiences to get us there. When I hop on a bicycle, I don't, I don't even give it a second thought. When I get behind the wheel of a car, I don't even give it a second thought. When Stephen gets behind the wheel of a car, never mind. Um, our faith is something that um, is based on the experiences that God has proven himself trustworthy through. But Jesus and his minions were still wrestling with just some basic things here. And they're seeing him in the boat. They're seeing themselves in the struggle and in the storm. And verse 41, I think, captures it well. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now how big do you think God is? Really, if you were just to quantify God. What, 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 do, you, what do you envision? Do you envision the old man upstairs? Do you think about maybe Jesus on the cross and that's sort of, sort of the summation of him? Or do you zoom out a little bit and say, no, my, my view of God actually is a little bigger. And maybe you think, all right, he created the earth. He created all the planets that are aligned with the sun. He created our galaxy. And you're thinking that is a very powerful thing. If you watch the Science Channel at any point, you heard Carl Sagan say, there are literally billions and billions of planets all over the universe. And then science went back and reset that not very long ago. And they said, no, he was actually wrong. There are billions and billions of universes, or I mean galaxies, all over the universe. And just imagine galaxies in the number of billions. And the person who created all of that is sleeping in this boat right here. And if you can just connect that finite representation of that awesome power then you start to relax a little bit because there's nothing that compares to creating galaxies and planets and solar systems and all of the different things that go to make up what those things represent. There's nothing in your life or my life that even remotely compares. And God's power is so great that Paul said, I want you to wrap your mind around something. Life is going to have its challenges. You're going to get beat up. It's going to be hard. You're going to hit the tree. You're going to feel like you're drowning. You're going to be basically run over. 
But I want you to know something. And he says it in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 very well. And you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. That power is the same as the great strength God used to raise Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in the heavenly world. So if you can imagine that power in your life, then you found the fuel that you need for the faith that will get you through. I'm sure that when Rich was called into the eldership, he's thinking, I just don't know. That's a big responsibility. There's a lot of people. There's a lot going on in this church. There is a heavy weight knowing that the spiritual well-being of the people in this congregation is going to partly rest on my role as a, as, as a spiritual leader here. And if you felt overwhelmed, uh, if he felt overwhelmed in that, then he should feel overwhelmed because it is a heavy weight. But the only consolation that any of us have in that role is that we trust that that power is working through us. It's not our power. It's just us cooperating with that power so that by faith some pretty cool things can get done. About six years ago, Terry Linegar, who's, I don't know if Terry's in this room, saw two communities of people that had rotten teeth, poor digestion, that had a whole host of health issues. And she had gone there a couple of times to try to help out in this uh, Dominican, um, uh, uh, small um, Dominican Republic town. And it was almost like God said, Terry, I want to tell you something. These people need clean water. And if you can just clean, get clean water for them, all the parasites will go away. And all of those things that you are addressing as symptomatic of the presence of those parasites, that's going to be a game changer for them. And would you ever imagine, Terry, that having God drop that into your head and then beginning to basically by faith go to work on that, the thousands of water filters, the two communities that have changed in the span, short span of time, going from having lives that were broken down all the time to thriving. And now you hardly do any of the dental stuff. You hardly do any of the medical stuff because God said, take a risk. Go. When you're there, take a risk. Think big. Think big. Take a risk. Trust that my people will respond. People respond. Take a risk. Trust that even more ground can be gained. And it's almost like, because I know you had some fear initially. I remember that journey. And now it's like, ain't no thing. God's got it under control. And now you're expanding into another community and you've come back and we're anxious to hear that story. But it's just a way of saying, I could never imagine myself going to the Dominican to sometime down the road saying, man, that's awesome what God was able to do through me as he called me, he enabled me along the way. And it's just the pattern of following Jesus no matter what. So I wonder, who is in your boat? Is it a boatload of fear? Or is it a boatload of Jesus? Is the only reason why you're here, even though you're scared to death, is you 
have enough faith to say, if I come to church, maybe I'll, I'll get a taste of the Lord a little bit. And if I do, maybe that'll take me a step further. And if it is, it's just training wheels waiting to be popped off. Our faith becomes unshakable when we trust and realize Jesus is able to calm the storms. Here's how we end. Jesus makes the connection between fear and our level of trusting faith. And this is just what we're learning. There is fear over here. There is trusting faith over here. And in the story, he says, these are the two things. And there's a connection here. And there's a, there's a line. And your heart, when it comes to fear or faith, is somewhere on that line in between. And every day, Jesus says, I'm going to take you through storms because I want to move that dot that is your life away from fear and over into the column of complete and total surrender and trust. Now, Jesus had this responsibility to take these 12 people and turn them around. In three years, he pulled them through all kinds of storms. They had all kinds of fears. But by the time the third year rolled around, he said, it's time for me to go. And that was the scariest thing of all because he was their training wheels. But he says, if I'm going to send you, I'll send my spirit along to enable you. And you will declare to magistrates, to the poorest of the poor, that I am Lord. And you will do so boldly that even at risk of your own life and livelihood, the fear of losing that security does not overshadow the trust that you have that I have power even over death. Maybe you're going through something right now and God may resolve it in a way that puts you in a better place in your life and I, and I trust he's doing that all the time. But it may be something that will never get resolved in this life. But don't fear. Because the life that is yet to come, the life on the other side of the empty tomb, the other side of the baptistry, the other side of dying with Jesus and then following him, that life, everything in your life that you bring into this room, everything will be resolved because the power of God in our lives is insurmountable compared to the power of those things that drive our fears. And what really is the game changer for you and I is our relationship with the man in the boat. And I guess I'll leave here with the question. Do you know the man in the boat? Did you, do you, like Rich, have a door that you're just deathly afraid to open up? Because if you do, you know it's going to change. But as he's walking up here, the reason he's walking up here is because that room he left behind wasn't even worth it. Isn't even worth the consideration compared to the room that he's in now. We just welcome you into that place.